Hello, I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The The Nonprofit Nonprofit Reframe. Together, Nia and I have over 30 years of nonprofit experience. We've worked the program side, the business side, and everything in between. We are reframing the nonprofit experience by challenging the status quo, because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday, and Brittany, I'm so happy to be back in the studio, so to speak, with you. I know, right? I almost forgot. I got a little nervous today because it's been, what, three or four weeks since we've recorded? Yeah. I had to, like, remember how to use the microphone. (laughs) It's been a thing. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it feels good. Feels good. Got a bunch to say. So I'm sure. <laughs> well, first off, everybody's dying to know how was your vacation? Oh, it was lovely. It was lovely. Thank you for asking. So nice to get into nature and away from people. <laughs> <laughs> that was the goal. Agreed. Yeah. Though I did learn that some parts of this country just don't believe in this pandemic. Oh, yeah. It's not real. I've heard that. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. So we, in fact, we went into this gas station in Wyoming and we all had our masks on and the guy working in there said, what are you going to rob me? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, you know, you don't have to wear those things in Wyoming. Okay. Well, I'm still going to wear it. So (laughs) thank you, sir. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. My five-year-old in a mask is here to rob you. We like we like to do our burglary sprees with the whole family. It's a family affair, of course. <laughs> Teach them young. Teach them young. Um, how was your couple of weeks here without Brittany? Uh, it was it was lonesome. No. Um, but of course, I have to report back because one of the most important things happened while you were gone, and since we've been on recording hiatus. That uh, political cam- campaign I was involved with had the primary, and she fucking won. Woo-hoo! Of course, very she excited. Did. Of course, she did because of her campaign, uh, like group, like all of you together. You, she had such amazing people like yourself working on her behalf and getting the word out. So, congratulations. It- Thank you. It was awesome and stressful and overwhelming. And part of me still kind of can't believe it's real, but the the clerk certified the results last Thursday. So it's real. She won. I saw that. And she's an amazing candidate. I should also say that. So of course she won because she's an amazing candidate. So very excited for the election in November. Yes, yes, yes. I know. It's hard to think that like it's not quite over yet. I know. (laughs) I know. Man, and I'll tell you, just from you working on that campaign and um, knowing the candidate, I it's such a long process. I mean, what a commitment. Oh my gosh, right? Because she started it, it I feel like, almost two years ago. Oh, yeah, she did. Uh-huh. Yeah, she registered in November of 2018 to, to run. And, of course, the decision was made before that. So... This is, it's such a long process. And again, it goes back to me to like 
the kinds of people we can get into elective elected office because the election itself takes so much time and energy. Yeah. Like how many people can put their lives on hold for 18 months to run for an office like this, not knowing whether they're going to win or not. And this is just local office. Yeah. This is just a county commissioner. Right. Holy cow. Yeah. It really opened my eyes to that. And, um, it takes someone who's truly dedicated and passionate to fill that role. For sure. Yeah. She's amazing. So excited. Well, congrats again. I'm Thank you. so proud of you all. You know, you and I were chatting on Friday, uh, our first time back together again since your vacation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been thinking about something you said since then. Uh-oh. I love that you're no. waiting until we are on a recording <laughs> before you mention it. It stuck with me, and it, it's been making me think about our friendship all weekend. Um, I'm also home alone, so I just have a lot of time to think about these things. So <laughs> you were um, you were describing a dream you had. Uh, you asked me what I thought it meant, and I said, I don't think it means anything. And do you remember what you said back to me? I said, you don't believe in anything, do you? Didn't I say something like that? Do you believe yeah. in anything? What do you even believe in? Yeah. <laughs> And I was thinking about how, like, how our lives are so different, how, like, some of those things are so fundamentally different in what we believe and how the world works, and yet we can be such good friends. Well, you were just so dismissive of it. I mean, very quick. Like, you didn't have to think about it. I was just like, oh, what do you think that means? And you're like, yeah, I don't believe that dreams mean anything. And I was like, oh, damn. Okay. (laughs) Never mind. Meanwhile, I'm like constantly calling out to the universe and looking for signs and <laughs> you're like, whatever, Brittany. I think it's great. We, I mean, we all have things that get us through the day and just because what the way you understand the universe is different than what I understand doesn't mean it's wrong. Exactly. I still f- fully support it. I just, I think it's so interesting that. Like, there, there's so much about the two of us that is just so different. Like, you're an extrovert. I'm an introvert. Like, all of these things. And yet, we can be such good friends. I know. Well, you know, you also talked about something on Friday that I thought about this morning and almost tried. Mm. I almost dried my hair in a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely the same level of what I was contemplating. <laughs> I got out of the shower and I'm like, should do I have curly hair? Should I dry it in a t-shirt like Nia said I should do? And then I'm like, no, I don't have time for that. So to be clear, the whole thing is like there's this thing going on on TikTok about how many of us might actually have curly hair and we've just been managing our hair wrong our entire lives. And so they recommend like you brush it in the shower with conditioner in, you use curly hair product, and then you use a t-shirt to dry it. And kind of like keep it scrunched up in that t-shirt on your head for like an hour. And then poof, you have curly hair. Well, come to find out, I don't. Did <laughs> you did you buy straight. curly hair product even? I had some somehow. Okay. All right. <laughs> Maybe because I've thought that I've had curly hair in the past. Um, to, be, to be really honest, as a child, I uh, love to get my hair permed. Oh, I did and too. And I did. I did through like ninth grade, just all kinds of curls. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. You just 
brought a wave of memories back to you. So my first date, I shouldn't even say his name, but my first date, and I put date in quotes because I think I was in seventh grade maybe, Aww. and he was an eighth grader. And it was one Whoa. of those where my mom dropped me off at the, um, at the movie theater and then picked me back up afterwards. But I watched the movie by myself with this boy and we watched, um, oh gosh, now I forget. It doesn't even matter. It was a Macaulay Culkin movie where he gets <laughs> stung by bees and he dies. It was like super sad. Oh yeah. Super sad. But bless this boy's heart sitting next to me in a movie theater for two and a half hours because I literally had come straight from getting my hair permed to sit oh, in the, the movie. chemical. You remember how that smelled? I mean, it smelled so bad. It like burned your nostrils for days. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm all so you like, look over and you think that he's crying. What? My girl? My is that girl, that yes. Called? Oh yeah. my gosh. But it's really just the chemicals, like, <laughs> impacting his eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That relationship didn't last long. I'm sure it had just a, as much to do with us being in seventh and eighth grade as it did my perm. But the perm didn't help. Didn't help my odds. No. No. <laughs> I think we need to find pictures of us with our perm <gasps> hair. I have And some. share it. Yes. I'm sure my mom does. Because I was like that for many years. I really love the curly hair. And remember when people, now we're just on this tangent. Hey, we're not even talking about nonprofits today. We're just talking about hair. Um, do you remember they had spiral perms? Where, oh, yeah. Yeah, that, I never got one, but that's, I really wanted super long hair and do the spiral perm so it was a, a spiral curl instead of. Oh, that's what I had. Oh, I bet it looks so great. Mm-mm. No. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. We'll contact our moms and yes. maybe share something out on social media. So make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Yes. You need to see this. <laughs> you need to see this. I'm pretty sure that is also when I first got glasses and braces. So it was a real oh, trifecta. Gosh. Ooh, what a combo there. <laughs> also, my accent just started to come out there. Yeah. Ooh, what a combo, eh? <laughs> what a combo. Well, this is a nonprofit podcast, so I guess we should talk about something related to the sector. Uh, what are we talking about oh. today? I, I mean, I'm down with just like traumatic childhood choices. <laughs> all, all the... uh, no, no, no. You're right. We should talk about nonprofits. Um, so today we thought an interesting conversation, especially given the moment of time we are in, would be about sector consolidation. So this thought that, excuse me, we're, you know, in the middle, is, is it officially a recession? I don't know if the economists have said that yet, but. I don't think I've know. heard that word yet, but I don't know. Our economy Armageddon. is on the rocks. Armageddon, that's great. Apocalypse, you know. I, I was on TikTok today and somebody called it the fourth coming of Jesus. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So our economy is like not super stable. We know that much. Um, and so, of course, we've been talking quite a bit about what that means for nonprofits um, because there are some that, quite frankly, won't survive this. Um, and we know um, during the last recession back in, what, 08 to 2010-ish, yep. 
that that was definitely an impact. Nonprofits closed. And I even, I found the numbers. I'll drop it in the show notes. Uh, the Nonprofit Quarterly actually just published this recently, I think probably because people are having the same kind of question and conversation, what's going to happen to our charities. Um, so between 05 and 07, there was a consolidation rate, meaning you know the, the number of nonprofits who closed, um, of 8.2%. Then during the recession, 08 to 2010, that raised to 13.5%. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, that delta there is about a 5% increase in the number of nonprofits that closed. Um, and since then, of course, nonprofits close all the time. It's not just during a recession, but it's something that we need to be talking about right now because there are ways to close um, that preserve the programming, that preserves the services to the community, um, and not all organizations can get there. Yeah. Exactly, because when they close, and particularly when they close abruptly, they can leave a pretty wide gap in services, and that yeah. can be um, devastating for you know, depending on what services they're providing for their clients in the community at large. Absolutely, I, I was thinking about this too as uh, we were getting ready for today. Like so many um, startups in the for-profit world are actually looking to be acquired, right? Like they're, they're just trying to grow to a place where somebody will buy them, um, especially in tech. And I know here in Boulder, we hear about that a lot. Like that, that is actually the goal, just to scale to a place where either you're a big enough threat <laughs> to somebody that they buy you out, or you've got a service that they want to start providing themselves. In nonprofits, it's not that way. And I think part of it is because so much of what we do is about values and philosophies. And so the thought of somebody else taking that on and doing an acquisition is really scary. Well, not only that, I mean, we've talked about this before that we're constantly in competition for the same funding, for the same funding from the same funders. And so mm -hmm. we have been trained to, um, to claim our uniqueness, to, um, be able to argue that, there is no, we're not providing any kind of duplication of services. And so it kind of, it does us a disservice because then we try to, what do I want to say? That we're within our own silo and we're saying, oh, well, we do something that nobody else does and, and nobody else can do this. And then we lose those opportunities for collaboration. And then ultimately, like what you're talking about, when somebody gets in trouble, to see how, hey, our missions kind of work together. And so how could we blend that or combine that or, you know, whatever. And so we don't even consider that as an option. Yep. Yep. So let's back up for a second, if you don't mind, because I know you've worked with um, nonprofits that have closed. I have not, mm -hmm. and I'm and I'm sure it's different for you know every agency. But if you wouldn't mind giving some examples, even just for me, of how like what circumstances lead to that, and and I guess what I'm thinking about is we've had a lot of conversations at my organization about our reserves. And there's always this talk, oh, you should have three to six months operating expenses in your reserves. But then we always say, but those, when we say three to six months, we're saying as if no funds came in the building at all, like everything stopped. So, you know, the, 
the chances of that happening are so slim and if there was a decline in revenue it probably would be more it would be slower than that so we probably have longer than that and so the the ones that you've worked with or have known that have closed their doors did they just fully run out of money well i think that's the interesting thing um you know any nonprofit should have a, a sense as to what their runway is and what they're going to do if it starts to shorten so um, I can speak specifically for one of the organizations whose board I was on. I, I was chairing the board at the time. And, you know, the sustainability question came up. And, and for us, it was, you know, we spent a good amount of time as a board just identifying what does sustainability mean to us. Um, and what we knew was that we were underpaying our executive director. She was working way more than she should, and she was getting burned out. And in order to shift that, to pay her more so that she could take some other things off her plate to get her some support, we needed, you know, X number of dollars. And so we gave ourselves a certain amount of time to try to raise that and basically said, we're going to put all of our efforts into it. If we hit that, great. Then we're going to build a plan for how this works long term. If not, we need to start conversations about mergers or, um, or closure. Um, we did not raise the money. Um, and there were a lot of reasons why our, our organization just couldn't, um, we were a mission that was not, um, highly valued in the community, quite frankly. And so we had those conversations and they were some of the most difficult conversations ever because we knew our services were so needed. Our participants were saying like, this is what has been missing from, for them. And the funders just didn't agree. And so we, we, created a plan for closure. Um, but we did it with enough runway that we were able to um, give a severance to our executive director. We were able to have a big party to celebrate all the great work we'd done. Um, and then we even still had, you know, a few grand, nothing big, but just a few grand that we were able to then pass on to a sister organization. So it was very thoughtful, very diligent. Um, and we were able to, you know, really engage our community in that closure. That's the way that Hopefully it's done. Um, and I should also say, during that period when we realized we weren't sustainable, we did spend a lot of time kind of shopping around to other organizations who might want to acquire our program. You did? Um, yeah. Wow. And n- we couldn't get there. No- nobody really wanted it. So ended up closing. But there are other organizations that close much more abruptly. And I always wonder, what what's going on in those board meetings, yeah. right? Like, how did this happen? Um, d- are you familiar with the parenting place? I am. I actually went there uh, with Harper, my oldest, when she was a baby and went to some mom groups there, but then that closed. Right. I, I mean, I feel like we can use their name because they they closed seven years ago now. Yep. But that was so abrupt. Um, so this was fall of 2013. And I only remember that because it was like a month after the floods. Yep. And like their staff showed up and their signs on the door, like we're, we're done, we're out. Um, their and staff I was, didn't even know their staff showed up no. to work in yeah. what? And we were a partner organization, um, that I was the executive director of and, you know, we're sending referrals and working with them. We didn't even get any communication. We just read about it in the paper. It was so abrupt and bizarre and truly a needed service that suddenly fell. And that's one where it's like, gosh, I wish I'd known sooner because, some of their programming we could have taken on. We should have taken on. Yep. But all of a sudden, like, their emails bounced back. 
like that there's just nobody there to contact done over i don't did you ever find out any more information about that i mean that's so fascinating who who closes down a nonprofit and doesn't even tell their staff I don't know. If any of you out there know the scoop on the parenting place and want to tell us anonymously, I would love to hear it. I mean, the, the public statement that was in the newspaper was basically like, the board has reviewed our operations and decided that we need to close at this time. Boom. Gone. So clearly, we don't want that to happen, especially right now. Right. Well, it just lends itself to, like, something scandalous. <laughs> I mean, that's immediately where my head goes. So if that, I'm not saying that's the case, but that's certain rumors, Brittany. No, I'm not trying to start rumors. My point is, is that those rumors are going to start if you close like that. So that's true. So another reason not to. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's, that's so true, actually. Like, I remember the next month or so, every time executive directors would get together, all of us would just be whispering, like, what's going to the parenting place? Did you, the parenting place? Have you heard of the parenting place? <laughs> because all of right. us were so curious as to what happened. Wow. Wow. Okay. So now you have um, been working with or at least have heard of places merging, right? Which is, yeah, like you said, such a great alternative to just you know, losing the community, losing out on the services altogether. Yeah. Well, and obviously there are all different levels of what a merger or acquisition would look like. But, you know, I just want to kind of say in broad terms, we're talking about programming to some level being continued on by another organization. Um, You know, the, the structure of what that looks like changes with every single negotiation. You know, some of them take on the staff. Some of them will have um, a couple board members join the new board. You know, like, again, all kinds of permutations of what this looks like. Um, but the, the thing that continues to be true through all of these is it's a ton of work because you have to develop relationships with people that are trusting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not like um, with a for-profit where you've got, um, you know, shareholders or something who get a say and, you know, they, there's all this pressure. It's like... Yeah, we want our mission to continue, and if not, we'll just close. Right. So there's not that same kind of push. Um, And these can take a long time. Um, One specific instance, there was an organization, a small nonprofit, um, that I had started talking to, I want to say, in 2016, about acquiring some of their programs. They, They were just really struggling with... Um, the scale of what they were doing. They needed more infrastructure, couldn't get there. The organization I was running just announced last month that that's happening. So four years later. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, those kinds of things, they they just take time. And you got a board of directors at play, and that's that's a wild card. (laughs) (laughs) Always. Okay, so I'm listening to this and I'm thinking about um, the perspective of our listeners and how mm-hmm. some of them don't work within the sector, but they give to the sector, right? So what mm-hmm. does that mean as a donor if I've given money to an organization, maybe even a large amount of money, and then they are acquired by another nonprofit? So is that money always transferable? Yeah, so... The IRS regulations say that if you close down a nonprofit and you have assets left over, you have to give those to a like 
type of organization. Um, you know, they're not super specific, but, you know, they want something that's pretty mission aligned so that your donor's intent kind of is maintained through that transfer of assets. Um, that said, you know, you don't really get a say in, in who that goes to, how much is given to each organization. Um, I've also been in an organization where we were on the receiving end of that, you know, where somebody closed and we got a portion of their assets along with a few other organizations. Um, and, you know, we made the effort to put out a statement that that organization could use to their donors explaining the work we do and how it will continue what they loved about this other organization. Yeah. Um, and that's not always true. Um, and it happens, you know, after closure. So it's not always relevant to um, convey. But for this organization in particular, they really wanted their donors to know that they were being thoughtful in this um, and how they disposed of their assets. Um, but the um, the interesting thing is, as a donor, you know, your nonprofit isn't selling your name over. So it's not like now you're added to the donor list of the new organization. Mm -hmm. So if you like this new organization that's potentially taking on some of this programming, you as the donor need to find them, start donating to them, get added to their newsletter, you know, whatever, so that you stay in communication. Because most of the time that transfer doesn't occur. That's such a great point. Well, and as far as money being able to be moved to a like-minded, mission-aligned organization, that goes for um, endowments as well, correct? Because I know yeah. that I've worked on endowment campaigns and that's one of the things that we had expressed to donors of, you know, when you give to this endowment, this money is going to be useful in perpetuity towards this mission. Because even if 20 years from now, this organization were to close, it would be transferred to another organization doing like-minded work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it's any and all assets, truly all assets. Uh, I remember when we closed down our organization, we had... Um, we had bought like some office furniture for our executive director, but she also used it in other ways. And so there was like, we had to get lawyers involved to be like, can she buy it from us so she can keep it? And then we dispose of that cash as the asset instead of having to literally take her office furniture to give to another nonprofit it would seem so ridiculous at the time. Right. <laughs> right. But yeah, endowments, all of that, you know, any asset that the organization has to its name has to be disposed of to another nonprofit. Yeah. So this is sort of a call to nonprofit, nonprofit leaders, board members who might be listening, who might be part of an organization that is struggling and or talking about potentially having to close their doors that, you know, give yourself time to start making those alliances and investigate if there's an opportunity for another organization who might be in a more stable place and willing to expand their programming offering to uh, yeah. to take on yours. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think this too is a, an opportunity for us as nonprofits to kind of reframe the, um, the narrative around closure. The majority of nonprofits are really small, right? They're, Tiny. Their annual revenue is less than half a million dollars. Right. It is really hard to scale services when you have such little revenue, such a little infrastructure. When we get, you know, some sort of consolidation that maintains your programming, it means that potentially we could be providing your services to more people for longer. 
So instead of thinking about closure as a failure, I want us to think as a sector about how we can actually be really strategic in this, how we can ensure that our services are actually able to grow through these kinds of negotiations. Um, and if we use this current moment as kind of the catalyst for that, that's even better. Yeah. Well, and on the flip side, we've talked about this before. You know, we joke all the time. I forget which episode we did, but I think it was, I think it was the recording that we did for Boulder Startup Week. And there's the question of, hey, my friend really wants to start this 501c3. <laughs> what should yeah. they do? And we were like, don't. <laughs> Don't, just don't, just don't start it. And not to say that there's not space out there for, um, you know, people who want to start a nonprofit in an area that critically needs those services and there's nobody else doing it. But our point being really from the get-go, like even before you start a nonprofit is twofold. One, look to see if there's anybody already doing that work. Because again, it goes back to duplication of services and, you know, lack of funding. And then two, even if somebody's maybe not doing that specific work, but they're doing work in the same realm, you can always go to a, a, a nonprofit and talk to them. I mean, it's not going to be overnight, like here's $100,000, I want you to start this new programming, but you could help fund an expansion of programming somewhere that's already stabilized and has a robust donor base and, you know, has the support that it needs to um, take on that program and continue it rather than start your own 501c3 just for that program. Yeah. And how many nonprofits just in our community, can you think of where it was like, Sally saw this this hole in services, and so she started this thing. And I'm sitting there thinking, actually, that, that that exists here and here and here. Why did Sally start this thing in her garage? But you know, it it, it is what happens. Um, you know, in this article I pulled about the recession data, I thought this was interesting too. So they say, although the closure rate for public charities was slightly higher during the recession than immediately before or after, new nonprofits continue to emerge even as others shuttered. Right. So you've got all these organizations closing down, being like, you know, the, the revenue's not there. We can't continue to provide services while other nonprofits are popping up at the same time. I mean, come on, honey. Yeah. Wait, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. I know. Well, I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody say, oh, I'm going to leave this Fortune 500 company because I'm just, you know, I don't want to work in that environment and that industry anymore. And I think I'm just going to go ahead and start a nonprofit. Yeah, I just want, I want to make a difference. And so I'm going to do that by starting something that I have no idea how to do. That's a ton of fucking work. Like, it's not an easy job. I don't know what they're dreaming. <laughs> I mean, it's still a business. Yeah, uh, exactly. Well, any other takeaways? Um, you know, I think the... The other thing for us as nonprofit leaders to do is, you know, I think we can uh, kind of break down that survival of the fittest narrative as well. Um, because I know that there were plenty of organizations who got through the recession and really touted that as like, we are strong and that is why we survived when others didn't. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's the narrative we want out there for nonprofits. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if organizations have to close, that is a loss. Um, if they close abruptly, that's an even bigger loss. Uh, 
And we need to, you know, foster an, an environment where these conversations can happen without shaming, without people feeling like they are a failure because they're potentially asking your organization to take on their programs. Um, and again, this is coming from my personal experience. I know, you know, when I was sitting with our executive director, I was board chair, we're meeting with these organizations. The way we would be treated by some of these nonprofits was clearly like, oh, you poor thing. I'm so sorry. You that couldn't hack you it. Able- yeah. Yeah. We it, won. We need to ship you lost. That. Yeah. I, I mean, think about the, the ways that we could engage in these conversations that really uplift all of our services together and recognize that we are, and this is so cliche, but we are stronger together. And if that means that this legal entity closes, but their programming remains under a new nonprofit, that is still fantastic. Well, I, it's so interesting because since we've started this podcast, um, that's been a real theme that we've uncovered around how much of what we talk about that's not working in this sector is a product of all of us in the sector, not mm-hmm. some outside force, you know? And so really shedding light on that and how um, if we want to see change, I mean, we really are the ones to make it, like to do it. And, and, yeah. and this is a great example of that. Absolutely. So to any of you out there who are thinking that uh, your organization might not make it, um, you might you might need to look at some other options, we are genuinely thinking of you. I know that's a hard decision to come to, um, and hopefully you can find a way that your programming continues even after a, a potential closure. And lastly, I just want to reiterate, because I think that was such a great point you made to donors, that if you do give to a place that ends up either um, either closing or merging with another organization, particularly if they merge, don't assume that your info merges as well. So be proactive mm-hmm. if that, you know, if you have a real heart for that work and you want to see that work continue then it just means you need to be a little proactive by reaching out to the new parent organization um, and reconnect. Absolutely. Great. All right. Well, if you know what happened, the real reason why Parenting Place closed, (laughs) or... Spill the tea. Or you have um, just like a super duper embarrassing photo of you with a perm, where can they send that? <laughs> please, please, please send it to us. We're uh, at nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us and you'll get to see all these super fun for me photos. <laughs> and of course, don't forget that if you have the capacity right now, now is the time your local nonprofits need you. Support your local nonprofits by giving and giving generously. Thanks, everybody. Bye. We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com and Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.